Well, good morning. morning. Hey, we begin uh, the best time of the year today. Uh, Thank you for everyone who has decorated our Advent uh, series. Uh, This is, uh, are you fired up? Okay. Um, Today we start the Advent series, the original Christmas playlist in which we are studying the original songs of Christmas found in Luke chapter 1, verse 2. I begin reading in Luke chapter 1. In the time Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Lord, we just thank you for your word, and we just pray that you'd open this and the following verses to us, that we might have some special word from the Lord today, that we might be instructed, and that our lives might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> when uh, Joy and I first got married, I was a, uh, leading a college ministry in Davis, California, and uh, she had uh, just graduated college, and I was a year out. And we got married, and, a, and, a, and a, a year later, we led a mission team to the country of Turkey uh, for the summer, where we brought a bunch of students from my ministry uh, over to Turkey for the summer. And we taught English, and we lived with some of our, our Turkish uh, host families. And one thing that we were not prepared for when we got there was how much pressure Joy and I would have from our Turkish friends about how fast we're supposed to be making babies. <laughs> they didn't see that one coming. They, uh, everyone that we would meet would, they would look at us and say, why do you not have babies? And, and we, we, we would do the things that we would do in our culture. We, 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 would, we would laugh. <laughs> no, no, they're like, I'm serious. Why do you not have babies? And then we would say, things that would make sense in our culture. We would say, well, we're, we're only 23 years old. And they'd say, that's plenty old. I had five babies by the time I was that old. <laughs> and we're like, oh, wow. And, and then we would say, uh, well, we've, we've only been married for, for a year. Like thinking that would, be, that would be obvious that we would not have babies yet. Uh, we, we've only been married for a year. And they would say, one year is plenty of time to do what must be done. And, uh, and, 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 and we just didn't know. And, and they, they, they felt that we were doing something wrong. And they, they tried to explain to us what we should be doing appropriately uh, to, to, to accomplish the mission that they had for our lives of making babies. And I, w- I was shocked. We'd been married for, for, for one year. We, were, we, we, were, we felt like we were still babies. And, um, and they were telling us that we should be making babies. But in that culture, in many cultures in the world, including the Middle East, there is quite a lot of pressure and expectation that when you are married, you start cranking those babies out. Now, Elizabeth and Zachariah, who we're going to be looking at today, lived in that culture. They lived in a culture in which there was quite a lot of expectation that you would produce babies, as many as possible. But that has not happened for them. 
And that, we know, has been a great desire on their heart, not just in their early years when people were asking, but many years past that when people stopped asking. When they got to the age where no longer people were expecting them to have a child, and they no longer asked, they no longer pressured them, and years and years went by, and we know they kept praying and hoping, but that blessing didn't come to them. They got to the age where many of their friends were having grandchildren, and they had not yet been able to have children, and everyone assumed this blessing is not going to come to their life. What do we know about them? They're a a faithful, devout, loving, older couple. They're both descendants of the priestly line of Aaron. They they serve faithfully. They love the people around them. There's um, an irony in the way that they're described because because we're we're told two things about them. Uh, Number one is that that they are faithful and good, that they are, that he is a priest of God, and also that they are childless. And the reason it's somewhat ironic is that in the culture at the time, it was believed that since children are a blessing from the Lord, that if you don't have children, maybe God's mad at you in some way. Maybe you have displeased God. And we have here and many times in Scripture in which that belief is challenged. Uh, it is, and, and this is one in which uh, uh, someone who, uh, who is described as, 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 as loving the Lord and being faithful in service is in that state. But in that culture, there was some belief that if you don't have that, maybe it's some particular blessing withheld from God. And so they've, they've persevered in their prayers, hoping and hoping that maybe this miracle, this blessing, that someday they might be able to be parents, but it hasn't come. They're also part of a, of a larger story. They are uh, living uh, in a time in which the Jewish people have suffered quite a lot. There's been a lot of things that have transpired since the glory days of the Old Testament in which there was King David and King Solomon and a united country and they had the land and they had the temple and they had freedom. A lot of things have happened since then. Since the glory days of Israel, the nation split apart into two countries with rival kings, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of of Judah, and then the Assyrian Empire came in and they conquered the northern kingdom and they decimated the land and they carted many of the leading citizens away. You never heard from them again. And then some years later, Babylon comes in and conquers the southern kingdom, carts away a lot of their leading citizens. And we have some stories of, 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 of Uh, redemption of of Nehemiah coming back, rebuilding the walls. But they get conquered again when Alexander the Great and the Greeks sweep across the known world. And then again, um, an heir to the throne of Alexander the Great, who's left uh, in the king of Syria some generations later, the king of Syria attacks Jerusalem. And Antiochus Epiphanes, who is just... Um, a painful memory for the Jewish people in our story today. 
Antiochus Epiphanes led the armies to sack Jerusalem and intentionally desecrated the temple in as offensive way, as offensive of a way as he could possibly imagine to do. This is what he did in the temple in 167 BC. He took down, robbed all of the sacred items out of the temple where the Jewish people worshiped and set up in the Holy of Holies, that, 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 that place where, where, where only God was, was supposed to dwell and only the high priest would enter once a year, that Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant had once been. He set up an idol to Zeus and then sacrificed in the Holy of Holies a pig, that animal that was regarded by Jewish people as the most unclean, sacrificed a pig and let the pig blood drip all over the Holy of Holies in honor to an idol of Zeus. This is the kind of humiliation that the Jewish people have suffered at the hands of conquerors. Another period later in 63 B.C., a Roman general, Pompey, took over Jerusalem and the Roman state in power all the way up until the New Testament. And when the Romans were in power, they took over the power to tax, to regulate, to crucify rebels, and also to appoint priests. Meaning that no longer would the Jewish people be able to choose their own priests and have freedom to choose the appropriate ones in the line of Aaron but the high priest could be appointed by the Romans, that they would even run the temple itself. There's about 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's a period of time that, which God seems and feels to the Jewish people to be relatively silent. But along these generations, generation to generation, the Jewish people passed along a story a memory of a time long ago when they were slaves in the land of Egypt and God showed up. We were slaves in the land of Egypt and God heard our prayers and he came and sent someone to rescue us. And he led us through the desert and delivered us into this promised land and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, oh Lord, do it again. And they looked at their scriptures and their ancient prophecies and their ancient stories and they held out the hope that a Messiah would come, one anointed by the Lord to come and throw off this generation's oppressors and usher them into a new age of peace and justice and freedom. On a brighter day. I think that for many of us, we can identify with at least some taste of that because we, have, we don't have the same exact struggles that they did, but we have our own. We have things that we just long for God to rescue us from. We, we long for a world without war where we don't read in the news about missiles flying and bombs going off where we don't read about mass shootings, where we don't read about mass deaths from COVID and other sicknesses, 
where we don't read constantly about political polarization, where, where there's just peace and harmony between people. We long for God to come and do that in our day. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they pray. And they're, and they're, they're having kind of their, 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 their own personal anguish that they're praying through. Oh God, all these decades we've been praying for a child and it hasn't happened. And yet quietly in the comfort and the safety of their own home, they just keep on praying for a child. They also are part of this experience of the national humiliation, this, this prayer and this yearning for God to show up and redeem the people, redeem the culture, redeem the land. Verse 8, we read this. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. We have to understand is there are a lot of descendants of Aaron at this point. There are many people that can be considered priests and they're separated. There's so many, they're separated into uh, divisions and the divisions would rotate whose year it is to go and minister in this place and who's, who's on duty at this particular time. And then within the division of priests that would stand there, the temple, they would cast lots. And this is kind of like, you can imagine like kind of drawing straws or, or, or playing rock, paper, scissors. They, they throw the lots and to see who is going to be the person that year that have the honor of entering that holiest part of the temple and doing the ceremonial lighting of the incense. Probably the only time in Zechariah's lifetime that he's going to have the honor of being the one to light the incense. By the way, is that how you guys were chosen to, to light the candles today? Did we, you won the lots? But this is his big moment uh, in which he's doing that. In verse 9, it says that Zechariah was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This gives us a, a great picture of the role of a priest in the Old Testament. Okay, so if you can kind of picture this, the, 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 the role of the priest was to be a mediator between the people and God. So the, the priest is, so to speak, one of the people. So the priest stands before God as one of the people, and they, they take lots and they say, okay, which priest is going to be the one to go and approach God? And then the priest, while everyone else kind of stays outside, the priest goes in and approaches that holy place to go and light the incense. And as the priest goes into the holy place from the people, the priest is bringing with him some things. He's bringing with him the pain of the people. He's bringing with him the longings of the people, the sorrows, the sin of the people, bringing before God. And the hope would be that would have this meeting with God, would light the incense, offer this prayer, and that maybe would hear something from God or, or, or receive some kind of blessing, some kind of mercy that the priest then brings out 
and is able to, to offer to the people. The, the priest is an, is an intercessor, a, a, a goer from the people to God and a and then a returner from God to the people. We saw this in the Old Testament with Moses, when, when Moses would go before the Lord and receive and come back and give to the people. That's why in the New Testament, we find that Jesus becomes the ultimate intercessor, the, the high priest that, that, that can be our direct intercessor to God and play that role. But here at this time, this is Zechariah's moment. And that's when verse 11 happens. It's when he's in there in the holy place in his lifetime moment of lighting the incense. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Let's just pause there for just a minute and think, what does it feel like for him after all those years to hear his name? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I know that uh, I sometimes stumble in prayer. I sometimes lose heart in prayer. There's praise, there's prayers that are on my heart that start off so fervently and passionately and with great consistency. And then over time, I lose heart and they fade. And I wonder, am I being, am I being heard? Is God, is God listening to me? Does he know that I'm here, that he know that I'm praying or am I just talking to the ceiling? And in those periods of time, my prayers fade and they, they get less frequent and they get less articulate and they get less passionate and they get fewer and far between. Have you ever had that happen to your prayers? As you wonder, is anybody out there? Is anybody listening to me? So if that's you, I just want to tell you today the same thing the angel told Zechariah. God knows your name. And God hears your prayers and God cares about them. And though you may wait in anguish for so long, don't, don't give up. God hears you. Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. He's afraid. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. Now, Zechariah now finds out that not only has his prayer been heard, not only is his name known in heaven, but they're going to be answered. And his, his request is actually going to be granted. He and Elizabeth will have a child in their old age. Now, it doesn't mean... That's going to happen every time we pray. We get everything that we want. But it's a symbol for all of us that God actually cares about the desires in our hearts. And this baby is going to be a symbol to us of a God who listens and cares. And, and, and the angel tells him, here's the name that you're to name the baby, John, 
which in Hebrew is a shortened version of Yohanan, which means Yahweh, God, the Lord, Yahweh, has been gracious. The Lord has been gracious. So every time they say the name of their baby, John, they will be saying, the Lord has been gracious. The Lord has been gracious. And some of you, I think, worry about your future. And I think certainly for them, they had a lot of worries about their future. What's going to become of us? What's going to become of our country that has been conquered so many times that is in such a disastrous state? They wondered what's going to happen in their future. And I think some of you worry about the future for yourself, for your family, and for your country. The name John for them was going to be a reminder for them ever after that God has been gracious to them in the past, and thus that gives them hope for the future. So if you find yourself worrying about the future, maybe something that you could do is look the other direction to the past and ask yourself, has God been gracious to me and to my community in the past? And if the answer is yes, if you can look to some moment in your life when you say, you know what, God God has been faithful, God has been gracious, then maybe you can look back to that and draw hope and encouragement for the future. If God has been gracious and faithful in the past, I can trust God to be faithful and gracious in the future. Zechariah can look back to the past and he rescued us from Egypt. He can rescue us again. But now he's about to hear what his son is going to do. That that son, John. Not only has the 400 years of silence from God been ended, not only has his personal agony of being childless ended, but he finds out that his son is going to usher in this new age for suffering people. Verse 14. Your son, John, will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Isn't that amazing to think? It names that, that, that he's going to be filled with the Spirit even before he's born. He's going to be a child in his mother's womb, and yet he will be a vessel of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of God Almighty, an unborn child filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God is telling Zechariah, hey, I'm not done with you yet. Your priestly service does not end when you walk out of this room in which you've lit the incense, but you are actually gonna raise this child who is going to be the way maker for the Lord, for the hope of Israel that they have waited for so long. He's going to be the way maker of the Messiah. Now this news overwhelms Zechariah. He's just, this is too good to be true. And he has his moment 
of doubt. So in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, uh, how can I be sure of that? I'm an old man and my wife is no spring chicken. Now this seems to tick off the angel who's not used to being doubted. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, why has he stayed so long in the temple? How long does it take to light a few candles? You did an excellent job, by the way. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision of the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. I mean, think about this. He just got the best news of his life. He's fired up. Like this amazing thing that he saw an angel. Like it's so mad, but he can't talk. So he comes out with this amazing word from the Lord and he can't say it. So he's doing signs. So imagine he's like, you know, that's me, a baby born. I shouldn't have done that last one, right? And he can't tell them. They're like, I don't know, something happened there, but we don't know what it is even though he's, this is his first time playing charades. <laughs> so he has to keep his mouth shut for nine months, which I hear some wives say is the greatest miracle in this story. <laughs> he has to keep his mouth shut for her whole pregnancy. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were gonna name him after his father, Zechariah. He's gonna be Zechariah Jr. Verse 60, but his mother said, no, his name is to be called John. They, and they said to her, What? There's no one among your relatives who has that name. First of all, who argues with a mother about the name of their child? <laughs> right? We don't, we don't do that. There's one time in my life in which I was tempted. Remember my friend Greg, who uh, I grew up with and who got that saltwater fish tank? Well, it came time to, to name his baby, and he told us that uh, their firstborn daughter is going to be named Panacea. And a panacea, you mean the Greek word for universal cure, I thought. It's a lot of pressure to put on a child. <laughs> and I thought about arguing. But did I? No, because in our culture, we keep our mouths shut. The mama gets to name the baby whatever she wants. But in this culture, they say, no, 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 no. You can't name the baby John. There's no one in your family. It doesn't make any sense. And they argue with him. And they, and they say, and they go, they go con, con, uh, consult the silent father. Do you agree with this? We want to name him Junior. In verse 62, it says, they made signs to his father. What do you want to name the baby? Right? <laughs> and here's the funniest thing about them making the signs to the father is the scripture says that he was deaf. I mean, the, the, the scripture says that he was uh, mute. He couldn't speak. It doesn't say he was deaf. 
so he can hear them as they're making the signs about the baby, right? But they're making the signs and he's like, oh my gosh. He goes over to a tablet and he writes on the tablet, verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. So here's, before we go to what he says, here's this interesting thing. Uh, what was it that shut his mouth? What was it that froze his tongue? It was an act of doubt, right? It was an act of doubt. God came to bless him, but he, but he doubted. He's like, I don't know about this. I don't know if God can do this. I'm, I'm too old for this. But what, what unfroze his mouth? It was an act of obedience, right? He did the last thing God told him to do. And sometimes this has come for me to be a, a guiding principle for me uh, that, uh, that a pastor long ago shared with me in my own moment of like, I just, I'm not feeling in this season, I told him, any kind of leading or, or guidance from God. I just feel like I'm talking to the ceiling. And the pastor asked me, well, what was the last thing that you really felt like God told you to do? Do that. Just do that until you hear something else. Just keep being faithful and obedience in the last thing you heard until you hear the next thing. Maybe that's a good word for all of us. When he actually does this, when he actually obeys and he, he does the thing that he had been instructed to do, his mouth is free. Now here's the thing is what he does. And this is why we're calling this whole series uh, the, the, Christmas, the original Christmas playlist is the Gospel of Luke actually, the, 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 the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke reads like a musical. So every, like, every few verses, like somebody just busts out in a song. And what we're studying this Advent is the songs of Christmas, is, the, is, is when people sing. And here's the moment where Zacharias sings. When his mouth is open, he's just, he can't, he hasn't talked for nine months. You'd think he'd be like, hey guys, here's, here's the thing that happened. Here's the thing that missed. Here's the things I've been really wanting to complain about for the last nine months. Like none of that stuff. What comes out of his mouth is a song and it's a song of a heart set free. He sings a song that tells the story of a people that thought they were cursed all this destruction must have been a curse, but, but actually we're going to be blessed. We thought we were abandoned by God, but we're not. He was there listening to our prayers the whole time. And here's the most interesting thing to me is his song that he sings is not actually about his own personal prayer fulfillment. You would think, I mean, I would think in that moment that he would sing, I get to have a baby. I'm an old man, but finally I get my prayer. Yay, I've been praying those years, but I get the thing that I've been praying for, but that's not what his song is about. He sings about the bigger picture. He sings about the suffering that the whole community has gone and endured and the redemption that's coming to them through the next miracle, which will be the birth of Christ. And the future work that his son, John, who becomes John the Baptist, will do to prepare the way. This is Zechariah's song in traditional Christian uh, language. This is called the Benedictus, Zechariah's song. 
I'm gonna read it, and I just wanna explain one thing when we read it. You're gonna see that it's in like a past tense, which can be confusing, but that's called uh, the prophetic past tense, which means that when a prophet is speaking and wants to emphasize just how absolutely certain they are that the thing that they're predicting is going to come to pass, they say it in past tense, as though it's already so sure to happen, it's like it's already happened. So it's a past tense, but it's predicting the future. Verse 67, here's the song. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. I mean, it now switches to verse, you'll see in the Bible. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So his song begins to evoke all the promises of God in the Old Testament to his ancestors, to to David, to Abraham, saying God is now fulfilling them. And in verse 76, he turns from praising God and declaring God's fulfillment of his promises. He now looks at his child. The child that God has, after all these years, placed in his arms, this this John, this the Lord has been gracious. And he looks right at his child and he says this blessing, this prophecy over his child. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now, it's important for us to note that in the Gospels, John the Baptist functions as a sort of prototype disciple, like a disciple before there were disciples, sort of the last of the great prophets that is announcing the coming of the Lord. And so we can, we can look to the, the faithfulness and the life of John the Baptist as an example of what it means for us to live a life of faithful service to God. And John's main job described in this prophecy uh, that both the angel speaks and what we see now from his father, Zechariah, his main job is to be a road builder for the king, to build and prepare the road that Jesus will walk on. What does that mean to be a road builder, a road preparer, a road smoother for the king? I think that in our day and age, we take for granted good usable roads, Now, I know there's a number of you here that want to complain about the potholes, but that's because you've never lived in Ghana, okay? I have. I know because I've driven on roads with potholes large enough to swallow a minibus, okay? Because when you live in a place that doesn't have, uh, you know, highly engineered drainage systems and you have rain, it's water that falls from the sky in some countries, um, (laughs) 
not, not here very much. But uh, when you have a lot of rain and you don't have the engineering or the pavement or the, you know, the, the various pipes and engineering, what you end up having is, is, is roads that just get totally washed down and just massive puddles and roads that, that crumble every year and they become unbelievably difficult to drive on. I remember my, my friend Leo and I used to go on this one road up to the Volta region where we'd go for hours on this road. This, you couldn't go more than 15 miles an hour because it was just so rickety and bumpy and you'd just be tossing around the car, holding on to the four-wheel drive, like the handles, you know, so you don't hit your head. It's so bad, so bad. You just drive hours on this road. But one time we got to this road and, uh, and there were like these huge, giant, road building machines that I had never seen in Ghana before. There was like a hundred workers working furiously and the road was perfect. It was like so smooth. It was like, it was beautiful. Now they didn't bother to pave it, okay? But it was perfectly smooth dirt road and we just drove over it smoothly. I was like, wow. They finally got around to fixing this road. Like, that's amazing. And we, we stopped and talked to somebody. He's like, hey, it's awesome. that what, You know, what, what, what finally got you guys to... To, to, to fix this road. And they said, oh, well, next month, the president of Ghana is gonna come and visit our region. So we had to prepare the road for him. No kidding. So all these hundred of workers are preparing and just making this beautiful, straight, awesome road because the president of Ghana was gonna drive once over it and back. And then of course it all falls apart again but he's going to have this experience of a, of a smoother. They're going, to, they're going to build the roads in anticipation of the president driving. This is what's being referred to when John is going to be a road smoother for the king. The king who's going to come, John the Baptist is going to be the one who goes ahead and the work crew that goes ahead to smooth out that road so that there's a, there's a pleasant and effective visit from the king. But in particular, what he's talking about, metaphorically speaking, because we don't have any records of John literally, physically doing anything to a road. What he does is he speaks to human hearts and he prepares highways for the Lord to travel into human hearts. And that's going to be a road, that's going to be a path that you and I walk. You and I who would be Christians, we are ambassadors of Christ, the way that we live our lives, the way that we use our words, the way that we do our deeds, we are road builders for the king into human hearts. And as we await the coming of Jesus this Advent, as we, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we should take stock and think, how do we do that? How do we prepare the way of the king? Let's keep Let's keep reading this prophecy that Zechariah says over John the Baptist, which I think is also going to be true for us. So rewind to 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Just one note here in this piece. The expectation that the Jewish people in this century had of the Messiah was this is someone that God is going to send to save them from other people's sins. Oh God, save us from the sins of the conquering Romans who oppress us with heavy taxes, who mess with our temple, 
who crucify our rebels. Oh God, save us from the oppressive sins of other people. And here we find out, maybe for the first time, or it's clearly shown here, that this Messiah that's coming and that John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for is going to show them that their greatest bondage is to their own sin. Their own evil actions is their truest bondage. Not to minimize their suffering at the hands of others. That also matters to God. But Jesus is not going not to just stop at saving them from other people's sins. He's going to rescue them from the damage inside of them that holds them back from God. And Zechariah sings this song over his son that he'll come to pass. And then finally, verse 79, he says, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. To shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the path of peace. It means that those who prepare the way for the Lord are gonna find people that are without hope and find a way to bring hope into their life. People that have darkness, they don't, they don't know of God, they don't know of the hope of God, they don't know the love of God, but somehow these road builders are going to find a way to make that hope believable to them and then to teach them to walk in the path of peace, the path of shalom, that community harmony, that community justice, that, that fairness and health that embraces everyone. That the road builders for the king will declare to people that there's a way to be saved from the darkness within them, the sin that, bond, that bonds them. It's gonna bring hope into their lives and it's gonna teach them to be people of peace. That's what it means to prepare the way for the Lord. My hope and prayer for us this Advent is that we will look around at people in our community that are feeling a sense of despair. Can you do that? Can you think of somebody, could be you, it could be your neighbor, it could be a friend, a relative, somebody who feels alone this Christmas, who feels like God has not heard their prayers, like God doesn't know their name, like they don't know the way out of their problems. And then could you love them in such a way that it builds a road for our Lord to walk into their heart? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this miracle to give Zachariah Elizabeth a baby. We thank you for the miracles that you do among us. God, we just pray you teach us to hope. Hear our prayers. Let us know that you know our name, O oh God. And may we be road builders for the King. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us in worship today. If any of you would like prayer, uh, there'll be some folks right over here uh, ready to pray with you. And uh, we just encourage you to fellowship out there with uh, coffee and refreshments and come on back next week. Hear this benediction. Know this, that God knows your name, that God hears your prayers that God cares about your sorrows and your aspirations and God will come through with you. God has been gracious to you in the past. God will be gracious and faithful to you in the future. And just as he prepared a highway into your heart, 
May you be road builders for the King. In Jesus' name, amen.